TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome in, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. Happy Hump Day to you here on Sports Daily with Jacob Albrecht and Tommy Castor. We are glad to be here with you this morning. Alongside Chad Chambers producing, manning that KFH hotline, we'll make our way through, continue to get ready for championship weekend in the NFL. We've got Baseball Hall of Famers announced. We've got a Wichita native, uh, pretty shockingly to the casual observer, fired in Milwaukee. That we'll get to and much, much more here on Sports Daily. Um, we've got a cool little local story Jad will tell us about here in a little bit. Tommy, good morning. How are you this morning? Man, I'm good. I was shocked. I know you uh, you mentioned briefly Adrian Griffin and that whole situation. I texted you yesterday. Shocking. Feel like that was out of nowhere. I know we're going to get into it and a lot more college basketball tonight with the Shockers and the Wildcats. And, of course, we can't forget the Chiefs and the AFC Championship, so a lot to get to. Yeah, it's we let's let's do start with um, let's start with Adrian Griffin. So you and I did not see that coming. You and I are casual at best NBA observers in January. Uh, the NBA for me personally, like it goes to the back burner until we get through really college basketball, and then I sort of dial in at that point. Uh, certainly not when we've got NFL football and when we have college basketball. Uh, you only have so much time in the day, right? And so I, I, all I have done with Adrian Griffin and the Bucks is just sort of observe that they're off to a really nice start, right? Yeah. Second best in the East right now. All their offensive metrics are really good. Uh, they're 30 and 13. You know, as I've checked in and talked to people who are a little more dialed in, everyone just says, yeah, they're off to a good start. I'm not sure anybody's better than Boston. So that's what I've, you know, that's what I've consistently heard from people who are watching the NBA a lot. You know, like, so that surprised me big time that Adrian Griffin, the Wichita native, Wichita East graduate, a guy that has been really gracious with his time to us here, uh, a guy that really, really appreciates his roots and loves being from Wichita, which makes us fans, right? That surprised me. So then I start looking like, what is going on here? Like, this is weird which is everybody's reaction. And then you start to see stuff that there may have been some infighting in the locker room. And I think what's really 
interesting is the pressure on the Bucks. Remember, they fired Budenholzer, who took him to a title yeah. in the offseason, which surprised people in the first place. So clearly the pressure there is immense right now. And I, I would imagine that your, you know, your star players were not particularly pleased with the way things are going. And in the NBA, we know how that goes. There's not a league in the world, I don't think, where players have more power than in the NBA. So it makes sense when you read some of those things. I just really, it, it bums me out that Adrian Griffin, who has waited so long for the opportunity to do this, got that short and that raw of a deal seemingly. Now, of course, he'll get paid and everything else. I just hope it's not his last opportunity to be a head coach, right? That's that's all I hope, and that's what I fear is that, you know, a guy that clashes with players because he's hard-nosed and all these things, are teams going to be willing to do that again? He'll find an assistant job in about two and a half seconds. Like, that That part of it is fine, but it's that head coaching opportunity that he's been waiting for for a long time. He's been a high-level assistant since 2008 and was a high-level player. Uh, so that that my biggest takeaway from all of this is that I really, really hope that doesn't dampen his long term. If look, if it didn't work in Milwaukee, if it wasn't a good fit, that's fine. Like I can, that that's okay. Like whatever. But I just hope it doesn't dampen his long term prospects as a head coach in the NBA. Yeah, you know, find another coach that went thirty and thirteen and lost right. his job. And then if you just look at it at face value, that's the shocking part. That you've got a Bucks team that they've won a bunch of games. And if you don't really deeply follow the NBA and you don't really deeply follow the Milwaukee Bucks, you can look at it at face value and just say, well, what more does the guy have to do? He's 30 and 13. Why is he losing his job? And then you start reading more into it. And I'm not justifying the Bucks' decision, no. but you look at, you know, the concerns about the defense that is, you know, they're not playing well uh, in fighting in the locker room. Like you mentioned, not really working maybe between Giannis and Damian Lillard and, uh, the fact that there's a championship window that the Bucks feel like is open, and if things are not taken advantage of right now, then they might not have that window much longer. So there are all of these justifications as to why Milwaukee made this change. Like you, I feel bad for Adrian Griffin. I feel bad that, you know, I'm sure that right now, this morning, he's thinking, what more do I have to do? to be a head coach in this league. I'm, I'm leading this team to a 30-13 and 13 record through 43 games, and they show me the door. Uh, I don't know if he'll get another head coaching opportunity, and that's I don't know if that's really necessarily on him, but I think a lot of teams are going to look at the fact that, hey, he won games, but Milwaukee didn't want him as the head coach, and they're going after, it looks like, Doc Rivers to replace him. So why should we roll the dice and bring in Adrian Griffin? I think that more than likely – He'll probably end up back as an assistant somewhere. I, I think if he gets another head coaching job, it would need to be with like a young team, which would make more sense anyway. But the reality is, and this is why this probably shouldn't surprise us, Milwaukee fired Budenholzer last year who helped them win yep, their title. Exactly. He he wanted a higher clip even than Adrian Gl Griffin was this year, and they fired. He won 70% of his games. I think Griffin's winning like 69, so it's very close. But they, they already told us what their standard was, and if they were willing to fire the guy that took them to a title – uh, that did all of these things after he went 58 and 24. It probably shouldn't surprise us. And, and look, they took a massive, massive risk in bringing in, uh, you know, Dame Lillard to try and get this done. So yeah, the, the NBA is just it's it's different than a lot of places. I get it. I, I you know I, it's it's a hard one for me 
because I just am not as locked into it as I used to be. There was a point in time, or really it was up until I moved here, that I was all in. I love the NBA. Watch it all the time. I still love the NBA. I just don't have time to watch it on a nightly basis. So these kinds of storylines that are developing over a season, I, I don't know that they're happening, right? I, I'm more of a... I'm more of like a box score NBA observer until we get through March Madness pretty much, and then and then I lock in. So it sucks for Adrian Griffin. Again, we're all fans of Adrian Griffin. He's been good to us. He wears you know the Wichita banner well, and he's always been very appreciative of his time here anytime he gets the opportunity uh, to talk about it or, or be back to you know to here to be a part of the community. So uh, we wish him well. We hope he lands on his feet. It'll probably be as an assistant for a little while. I just really, really, really hope that it's as a head coach again so we can see, you know, big picture, what kind of head head coach he can be in the league. Yeah, so there's an article that's out right now on The Athletic from Shams Charania uh, talking about the decision that Milwaukee made to – uh, to fire Adrian Griffin and just everything that's gone on this season. There was, um, and I, I don't know if you followed this much, but there was an assistant coach that stepped down before the season started. And it seemed like there were disagreements between Griffin and the assistant coach. At one point, management put together a meeting between Adrian Griffin and Doc Rivers, thinking that Doc could maybe give him advice and guidance as he's learning on the job. It sounds like players were willing to be patient with Adrian Griffin, but the the issues off the court continued to grow. And so it kind of led to this. And so, again, like you look at just from a 30,000-foot view, if you don't follow it closely, you're like, well, they're 30 and 13. What's the issue here? And it sounds like there were some behind-the-scenes issues that, you know, unless you're really diving in deep uh, with what's going on with Milwaukee, you may have never known. Yeah, it, 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 and we didn't, of course. You sent me that right yep. as it happened, and we were getting word of it uh, in the newsroom, and it's just like everyone's asking me why, and I'm like, guys, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. It doesn't make sense to me either, but let's let's look. Let's take a look and see uh, what the deal is, and you know, we'll we'll find out if, if the change works out for Milwaukee. I don't know. I do know, though, that they are a franchise where it's championship or bust, and that's probably as simple of an explanation as you could need to understand why that happened. Championship or bust, they don't feel like they're on the right path to a championship. They're making a change. Okay. And that's the I, thing. You it's know. you know, it's not about being, you know, thirty and thirteen in the regular season. You could you could win the most games in the regular season. And that's probably not enough for Milwaukee. I mean, think about this. Giannis signed an extension and recommitted to Milwaukee thinking that they could win another championship or multiple championships. And so that that window is right now. It's not a couple of years down the line. That's why as much as I have always appreciated Adrian Griffin and the way that he develops players and, and all of that, I it was a little, um, I don't want to say confusing. I, I sort of questioned the hire at the time because he's a first-time head coach and so there's going to be some growing pains. I thought that the most, the, the best fit for Adrian Griffin was to be promoted to the Raptors head coach uh, when, when all of that went down during the offseason. And so I thought that was a little interesting that he went to Milwaukee well, and I, that Toronto didn't did give him the job. But I did too. But at the same time, I was like, heck yeah, he's going well, to yeah, Milwaukee. This absolutely. is going to be awesome. Sure. Right. Like, and and we first thing we thought of, of course, when Dame Lillard was traded, we we're like, dude. This is lining up. But does it make, did it make a whole lot of sense? I mean, in retrospect, hindsight being 2020, with a coach that's a first time head coach learning how to be a head coach in the league with a team that wants to win right now. 
it did because if you go back and look at who he was an assistant under, he has been an assistant under some of the great coach. When he was on, when Paul Savage put him into the Wichita Sports Hall of Fame and he came on with us, he talked about, like, he, from everybody from, like, Don Nelson to Greg Popovich. To, like, yeah. he He's worked under was, the best. So, so I, I get that piece of it, too. Like, this guy has you know, some of the the best defensive-minded coaches, some of the best offensive, like all of these things were right there for him. So I get it, and it's going to be fine. He'll be okay. He's going to continue to have great success in the NBA. I just hope it's eventually, again, as a head coach and not just as an assistant, you know, it's it. these things happen in the NBA more than they do in other sports. So good luck to Adrian Griffin. If you missed that news yesterday, he has been fired by the Bucks, despite getting out to a 30-13 and 13 record uh, about halfway through his first season as a head coach in the NBA. All right, that's one piece of the news that happened yesterday. Another piece, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. We don't talk a ton about this uh, building up to it. We'll talk about it because we have the class now, and we can get into it as we return. The KFA Trotline is open for you here on this Wednesday at 869-1240. Jad Chambers is on that for you. Uh, Rick chimes in. On the Griffin situation, said they're complaining about defense, but traded their best defensive player in Drew Holiday. I get it. I think, Rick, it's go get Damian Lillard and and be as good you know, defensively as you can be through a coach. That's kind of what, if you read, part of the problem was, I guess. But they're desperate. I don't know what else to say other than Milwaukee is very, very desperate right now. All right. Let's take a break. We'll give away some HTO at some point here on the program as well. A lot to get to on this Wednesday edition. We'll do it as we make our way through a Wednesday on Sports Daily. Hey, Shocker fans, you can tune into 103.7 KEYN tonight for coverage pregame of the game. Pregame starts at 5.30. If you're a Wildcat fan, you can tune in right here to KFH at 7. Not near radio, both of those games will be available. Streaming on the free Odyssey app. We'll get into those college basketball games in just a little bit. Um, Let's talk about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame here, Tommy. We haven't spent any time on this up until the voting was completed Um, I am very pleased that Adrian Beltre is a first ballot Hall of Famer. 95% of the vote. That actually does surprise me a little bit. Um, Adrian Beltre has, I think I've said this many times, I never would have thought this would have happened, but he became my favorite baseball player of all time. Like, I I just, I've never enjoyed watching somebody play more than him and the way he approached the game and his love of the game and how much he enjoyed it. Never seen anybody like it. Vladimir Guerrero is maybe like a close. Salvador Perez has a little bit. That's why I appreciate Salvador Perez so much is because of how much they appreciate what they're doing and where they are. Uh, that that sort of, uh, you know, lore. And then, you know, as a young guy, I had my favorite players as all young kids do. But, man, I just I've never appreciated a baseball player more. So I was really happy to see him in on the first ballot. Ninety five percent of the vote joining him will be Todd Helton, who, in my opinion, absolutely deserved it, and another first ballot guy and Joe Maurer, which uh, he barely got over the threshold uh, on his first ticket, but I'm glad he's in there. What did you think of this class, Tommy? 
I don't have a problem with it. It's kind of a boring class. I mean, Adrian Beltre. Oh, I love this class. I love this class. It's fine. Todd Helton, um, I think that he gets forgotten about a lot because he played for some really bad Rockies teams. And in a lot of years, he was like the guy for that team. There really wasn't a whole lot of support around him. You know, he hit a lot of home runs in Coors Field. I don't think that should necessarily be a knock against him. So I'm fine with him being in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't really get me super excited, but I'm okay with that. Joe Maurer is kind of the same way. I like Joe Maurer. I, I forget about Joe Maurer a lot and what he did for Minnesota over the course of his career. So outside of Adrian Beltre, and, and don't get me wrong, I totally believe that Adrian Beltre should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm totally cool with that. You know, that he had a great career. But other than that, I mean, yeah, Helton, I can I can go either way. It's fine. Joe Maurer, I can go either way. The one guy that I feel like, and I know I'm biased because I'm a I'm a diehard Atlanta Braves fan, Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know why Andrew Jones, you know, he he's in his seventh year. He got like sixty-three percent of the vote, so he's not quite there yet. Uh, I feel like he should be there. Gary Sheffield is another guy that hit a ton of home runs that he is not going to be in the Hall he of got, Fame. I don't, he got I don't caught up that. in the steroid stuff. Kind of. I mean, but he's not as big in that world as some of those other guys like Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I mean, Sheffield is kind of a fringe uh, steroid guy, so I don't really understand that. But other than that, I mean, I, I feel like it's a fine class. So Sheffield is caught up in the same thing like Barry Bonds is caught up in, basically, where it's just like it depends on what you read and what you believe and everything. I, I Again, I've said this many times. I would put all those guys in and almost like create your own wing. We're trying to tell the history of the game through the Hall of Fame, right? You're trying to remember the history of the game. I think baseball's is far too exclusive. I've never agreed with that. I don't know why we still only have, you know, writers deciding this. For instance, Billy Wagner, who 100% deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's he's one of the top five guys that's ever played his position. Like, get over it. But there were, I think, three writers that voted for Billy Wagner last year that didn't vote for him this year. How does that work? And, like, at some point, like, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Maybe there's years where 10 guys deserve to get in, and maybe there's years where nobody deserves to get in. That's fine, but you know you're, not part of doing, the reason- you're not doing your job telling the history of baseball if you're not putting in one of the greatest closers we've ever seen. And to Andrew Jones, your point, yeah, we do need to celebrate guys who are rock star defensive players. That's a part of the game. Yep. Defense is a part of the game. Yep. He played the most premium position one of the two or three most premium positions at a level we've rarely seen it played before. Yes, that player deserves to be a part of the history of the game that way. You're equating Gary Sheffield and Barry Bonds, and I know that you know there are some, there are a couple of similarities there. Sheffield wasn't caught up in the steroid world as much as Barry Bonds. Yeah, was. he was. He no, he so wasn't. in Game of Shadows, in, so he was in the Barry Mitchell Bonds report, is and, and Sheffield was mentioned for, in like a paragraph in that book where Barry Bonds had like multiple chapters dedicated to him. Yeah, but the same things, the trainer, the same things in that in that book reflect I mean the the I've read have you read that book? It's incredible. Yeah. Um and I'm not saying like it's a book, it's not like a you know, it's not the 10 commandments or anything like that. 
But there is the 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 trainer there who had his book of all these players that used in their schedules. Gary Sheffield's name's in there. That's why, like, he's. I, I look. I think again. I think they should be in. Um, it's just it, it. It's because his name is involved in all of that but stuff. You know why? The same reason. You know why we're not going to see. In. Rafael Palmero in the Hall of Fame or like some of these great players who I mean that's that's all it is why we're probably not going to see Manny Ramirez in the Hall of Fame when None I of those guys of, were directly implicated when I, I think Palmero of yeah was. when I think of steroid guys I think of McGuire and Bonds and Sosa Palmero but that's just because they were the best steroid A-Rod. guys I don't think yeah. of Gary Sheffield in the steroid world you know why in my opinion Gary Sheffield didn't get the number of votes it's because the writers didn't like him when he was a player. That's all there is to oh, it. Oh, that's that's sure. the same reason why Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. Now, of course, the the steroid thing is a lot bigger, but the writers didn't like Barry Bonds wasn't nice to them. Barry Bonds wasn't friendly to them. Like that's on record and and that's another issue with these writers getting votes for the Hall of Fame is that when you've got players, I guarantee you Todd Helton was probably perfectly fine with the writers. Joe Maurer was probably perfectly fine with the writers. That's the subjective part about this that I have a problem with, is that the people who are deciding this are ones that are giving their personal feelings towards these players and how these players made them feel over the course of their careers. It's not objective. It's subjective I opinions. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I know, and I read an interview with Gary Sheffield where you know he talked about when he was a player, that there were times that he was not particularly friendly to the media. And that, that's an issue as, you know, he's looking at being in the Hall of Fame because these same media members are the ones who are casting the votes. It's So what needs to happen is it needs to be a collective of, uh, you know, media members, writers, writers that are actively involved in the game, by the way, only, yep. and – and then it also needs to have representation from the players and probably somehow from managers, right? You just have to take a broader approach to it so those types of things don't happen. And look, you know, play the game. Be nicer to the media. You know, I, I, I it's dumb, but, you know, be smarter than that. And, and the other thing— Again, like it's so—it's impossible to navigate the steroid years. It, it just is. Right, it's just impossible. How do you know any of these players didn't use right when when almost everybody certainly was at the time? So I, I again I say you you put everybody in and then you hang banners that explain what was happening in baseball from X years to X years because again here's my other problem with it: those writers who are being exclusionary to these players who used. You didn't know they were using when you were a baseball writer. If you didn't know they were using when you were a baseball writer, you were really, really terrible at your job. You didn't ask them about it because I was like an eight-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid who absolutely knew these guys were using steroids. I was a pro wrestling fan. There's only one way people look like that, and that's how. There's only one way, you know, Mark McGuire looks the way he looked. The, the only other people in the world who look that way are bodybuilders. Why? I mean, come on now. Like, you didn't know at the time because you didn't ask the hard questions either, riders sitting on your pedestal. So as somebody who feels compelled at times to have this journalistic responsibility, like, 
you didn't do your job either. If you're, you can't sit on your high horse now when you absolutely knew that stuff was happening when you were doing it, but you were enjoying the ride like everybody else, right? It made the game better. It saved the game, probably saved your job because people were that interested in the game. So don't give me that a lecture about that. You knew at the time this was happening. If I knew as a young kid it was happening, get over yourself. So put them in, explain what was happening in the game at that time, and move on with our lives. The other thing, too, do we know with 100% without a shadow of a doubt certainty that the three guys that got inducted into the Hall of Fame never no. use steroids. We don't, and that's we don't know not, that. And I'm not, I'm and not that's accusing the problem. them. I'm not accusing I know what you, them of that. I know what, what you're I'm saying. saying is I agree. That, you know, you, we've got this level of uh, accusatory behavior with the guys that we know for a fact did. A-Rod, we know he did. Barry Bonds, we know he did. But what we don't know is 100% who did not. And there, I don't think we no, 100% know Barry Bonds did. We know A-Rod did because he admitted it, right? Like. So if I, I, that's the that's the issue with all of this is that everything is tainted. Everything is. It, it is, and that's why you have to put them all in because you yeah. don't. I don't want to have to wonder, right? Like, just put the best play. Because here's the other thing, and and this is people aren't going to like this, but for me, this is the way I think about the Hall of Fame. These whether they were these were the best players of the era that they played in. I've always said my criteria for the Hall of Fame is to make sure we're remembering every era, every year of Major League Baseball, of pro baseball, right? And the only way to do that with these guys is to take – they were still the best of their generation, right? The generation of baseball that they played in, these guys were still the best at it. So don't ever overlook the history of the game and what happened in the cheating, but also – you have to, if you're going to tell the history of this game, you've got to put, it's like Pete Rose, like get out of here with all that. You know, like you, you cannot ignore these players and the impact they had on the sport that you're trying. It's a museum, right? Do we only put good things in museums? No, we're telling history. And, and this love it or hate it, the steroid era is a part of baseball's history. I don't hate it as much as most people. I firmly believe it saved the game. And I firmly believe that it made sure that Major League Baseball had a future when it was really perilous at the time. So I don't hate it as much as most. I hate that it happened, but I also understand that it very well may have been a necessary evil to saving the game that I love because I'm not sure baseball would have survived the strike or all of the things that it survived because of the home run chases and these things that happened. I mean, th like... Bonds, not Bonds, sorry, Maguire Sosa was as must-see TV as baseball has ever been before, and that ensured its future. So, again, just tell the history of the game. This is what happened during that time, and let's all move on, and then you just and, – and we're done with that era of baseball, right? Um so I don't know. Again, it's fine. If they don't put the steroid guys in like the agree, I, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Brandon says the hall can tell the story without inducting the players. That's true. But to Tommy's point, we're never going to know who did and who didn't. It's 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 impossible for us to know that. And so it's not fair to all of it. To just cherry pick, I guess. At that time, it's unfair to the players that didn't use that got in the right. I mean, it's unfair to them. It's unfair to everybody.
I think you just you put the best players in and you say, hey, this is what was happening at that time. You can say you can go through a historical index of what guys have admitted use and all of these things, but it's hard. You know, I don't want in 20 or 30 years kids that love baseball not to know some of these players. I think Andrew Jones should be in. Uh, moving on from the steroid thing, I didn't even intend for us to go that way. Carlos Beltran will be interesting, 57% on his second year on the ballot. I think Billy Wagner will get in next year uh, out of that. Oh, thank you, writers, for, for allowing him in in his final year. You know, that kind of nonsense. He's one of the best closers of all time. Put him in. Goodness sakes. Uh, next year, Tommy, you'll have Ichiro, who will certainly be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yep. Um, and then it's a little dicier. You know, so I'm looking at a list from CBS Sports right now. Uh, you've got CC Sabathia, who won 250 games. He'll be an interesting case. He's certainly not going to be a first ballot guy. Uh, they've got Dustin Pedroia listed. Give me a break. Uh, dude didn't even have 2,000 hits. I didn't even have 150 home runs. Get out of here with Dustin Pedroia. I, I, and at personal asterisk, I had a, I was a big Ian Kinsler fan. And so, like, there was this big rivalry between Pedroia and Kinsler, and I was always Team Kinsler. So, a grain of salt on Pedroia. I would have to dig into his numbers. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, though. Kinsler, Kinsler's listed, too. I don't think he's going to be either. His numbers across the board are better than Pedroia's. Uh, and then there's Felix Hernandez. I would put King Felix in. I think he is one of the best pitchers of the generation he played in, for sure. Um, so, Ichiro would be a yes. I would say King Felix needs to be in. And then... So if I was voting, I'd have Wagner in, Jones in, uh, Ichiro in, and King Felix in next year, and that's probably it. I I would I, I'm on the fence with Beltran, but that would be I, I would take all those guys in next year. The issue with Beltran is that not only was he in the steroid era, but also he was part of that sign stealing situation with the Astros. That's going to be a big knock on Carlos Beltran. And, you know, he was uh, obviously a manager for a very, very, very short period of time and then lost his job because of that scandal. So, you know, I, I think that that's going to be an uphill battle for Beltran just because he's dealing, you know, he's in that steroid era, but then also he's got the Astros situation. That to me, by yeah, I keep him out for that just out of spite. Um, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what'll happen with Beltran. He'll be interesting. I think those other guys certainly need to be in though. Felix, Ichiro, Andrew Jones, uh, and Billy Wagner that those guys all to me need to be in. All right. That's our major league baseball talk for the day. Uh, real quick on the way out, uh, Jad, you've got a story here that that's interesting. Jad sent this to us and it's uh, about a listener to the program that we greatly appreciate. What's going on there, Jad? What can you tell us? Uh, well, he's, for for quite a while, he's had uh, a business selling uh, empanadas. If you're familiar with yeah. that, uh, really delicious, actually. Chad uh, Chad Freeman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's been selling them. Uh, they had a stand open at the uh, Anchor Meat Market, kind of in the downtown area, and uh, they've been selling those for a while. Uh, that's closed right now. He's working on getting a food truck together, but. He's actually going to be. Uh, he's right now. He actually is. They're they're in the middle of doing this right now, competing in a reality ish television competition sort of thing that's going to be on the Food Network, and so they're out of state right now doing that and competing. And uh, I don't know. It's pretty just, cool. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Good Ch luck you know, to Chad. Yeah, Chad's that's a, awesome. a Chad's a, a great listener of the program. I yeah, you know, I know that he's reached out. Um, on occasion before, I think on the Sports Daily Facebook page, and so 
Um, when you sent that to us, Jad, you know, competing on the Food Network, that's a pretty big accomplishment. So congratulations to him and his wife. Yep. Love that. That's fantastic. Good luck there. Uh, Argentina's empanadas. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to look at that. I'll have to try and get them out, uh, see if they want to do some kind of party at HTO. We need to we need to start doing some food truck stuff uh, out there. That'll be fun this summer. Um, well, once he gets so that going, luck. yeah, yep. definitely. Good luck to them in that competition as well. All right, speaking of HTO, let's give something away here. Uh, let's give away some coffee and some tea on our way out, uh, and then we'll begin to dig into some college basketball tonight and, of course, some some Chiefs football as we've kind of sh- just begin to scratch the surface on how fascinating this matchup is to me. Let's do a free iced tea and a free brew house coffee from HTO. The tea, of course, available at any HTO here in Wichita, east or west, and then down in Derby. The coffee available to you at the east location of HTO and in Derby as well. Good luck. Chad will get us a winner to the first caller on the KFH hotline. 869-1240 is that number. We'll come back. Digging into the numbers. The Chiefs are outmatched a little bit on paper here against Baltimore. I'll tell you why. Coming back. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Glad to have you here on Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor on this Wednesday with you. Uh, we'll continue to discuss the Chiefs game all the way up until Sunday. Tommy, it's interesting. I was just sort of going through some of the numbers for TV yesterday. Paul Tour's got them outmatched, man. They're seven points a game better on offense. They force more turnovers. They have more sacks. Uh, the Chiefs' defense has been great. Baltimore's defense has been just a tick better. Points per game, Baltimore's number one, Kansas City's number two. Uh, we, we've talked about all of these things. They're going to have the MVP. Just about any metric you look at, they've been better than Kansas City this year. I still like the Chiefs this weekend. Um, and, and that's the thing about Kansas City is they're a different team now than they were for the biggest chunk of the middle of the season, really up until very recently. And it's the Mahomes factor. You know, like if 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 the teams are equal or if Baltimore's even a tick better, which they probably are top to bottom, it's still the Mahomes factor. And it is knowing that the Chiefs defense is at least as good as Baltimore's. So then you get to that point. Dan Israel told us yesterday he'd be shocked if Willie Gay doesn't play. So I'll say that I imagine Willie Gay plays. And if that happens... Uh, even with the bad matchup seeming to face the Chiefs in the run game, I still like them because I like what they can do in this spot. And they just, they have Mahomes. How many times could, with the Patriots, we just say, yeah, well, they got Brady. And it was true, right? It, it played itself out that way. So I think we've got that here, and I still like the Chiefs this weekend. Yeah, you know, I think that one thing that stood out to me when we talked to Dan Israel yesterday was, him comparing and contrasting Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and the way that they run uh, because they're different. They're different yeah. kinds of runners. Very and, different. You know, so, and I, I never really thought about it to that extent. I just thought, you know, okay, they're both really good runners and that's it. But they are different in the way that they do it. Josh Allen lumbers his way, you know, and is like a, a freight train and gets going and he's hard to bring down. Where Lamar Jackson, you know, in, at times looks like a running back out there in the way that he does. He's more things. like Michael Vick was, right? Just quick <clears throat> yep. twitch, that kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And so, you know, the Chiefs had 
trouble, especially in the first half uh, last week, containing Josh Allen. So I know that the big priority this week is going to be doing everything possible to game plan a way to contain Lamar Jackson. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it's a, a thought of, hey, you know what, we'll concede, you know, some of these maybe middle tier runs that Lamar can do as long as we're not giving up the big play or if there are other ways that they can game plan this, it's certainly going to be a challenge because that's the thing about Baltimore is that not only have they won a lot this season, but in many different cases, they've won big. They've demolished their opponents in multiple weeks. And so the Chiefs have to do everything possible to not let this get away from them on Sunday. I haven't bet it yet because I won't be surprised if the number gets closer to four. Um, And three and a half is, is pretty much four, right? It's just as good because you get the field goal covered. But the 44-and-a-half tells an interesting story because that both of these teams have been, I think Baltimore's averaging about 28 points a game and Kansas City about 21. So their average is much higher than that. But I think Vegas is believing more in the teams, both of their defenses, than it is their offenses. And I feel the same way, by the way. I think this game is more about the defense than it will be about the offense. And so when that is in play, right, when you're thinking about it that way, it's like, okay, well, if 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 the expectation is for both defenses to be pretty good in this game, and I think that is, you know, both teams probably hovering in the low 20s somewhere, when you have that scenario and, you, and you're feeling like the defenses will be effective, that's where I lean to Mahomes. That's where I lean to Mahomes over Jackson. I was—I mean, I was as impressed as anybody with Lamar Jackson's second half against Houston, but I cannot forget that he also had the first half that he had, and Houston gave him trouble. And so if Willie Gay's there and Spagnola has time to adjust and all of these things, I, I just – I'm not going away from that until we see it happen. But you want to talk about an opportunity for Lamar Jackson here to just put himself squarely – in the conversation, and it's hard because he's going to win the MVP this year. But are you? Are almost nobody's putting him inside their top three quarterbacks. He he probably fits somewhere more into the like the top five if people were giving you. But you're talking about the MVP who's going to be a two time MVP, right? He probably needs to be higher than any of that, and he's got an opportunity if they go win this game and he plays well to sort of establish that. And and what's I think what's always been hard about Lamar Jackson is he plays the quarterback position in a different way than we're used to seeing. So it doesn't look the same. So it's harder for us to process his greatness, I think. Uh, at least it is for me. But it's a big opportunity for him going up against Mahomes. He couldn't ask for a better opportunity for his legacy, quite honestly. I get it, and I understand. Uh, and in all of that, uh, you know, you have said so many different times and I don't disagree with you that as long as you've got Mahomes and Kelsey in the defense, don't bet against the Chiefs. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I understand. The Ravens are a different animal. And the Ravens, I think, have been a little underrated as the season has gone on. Um, you know, And I think a lot of it is because there was question about whether or not Lamar would live up to the way he's been billed. Uh, and everything that went down with him in the offseason and not re-signing and all of that. And then they have not been a team in the last couple of years that we have ranked as high as Kansas City or Cincinnati or Buffalo. They've kind of been on the outside looking in. It's a resurgent team. 
And again, if you just go back and you look at what Baltimore has done week by week by week by week, they've not just beat opponents, they've demolished them. I said that before. So you've got to bring your 100% A game. This, this cannot be, for Kansas City, I'm just going to lay it out here right now, this cannot be a game that the offense falters and the defense has to pick them up. Conversely, it can't be a game that the defense falters and the offense has to pick them up. You've got to have both. You've got to have both because I would argue that this game, this AFC title game against this opponent, is a more difficult opponent than either team that you might be facing in the Super Bowl. This is the bigger test. And the reason I say that is because we it don't know sure yet. Is. We don't know yet if Debo Samuel is even going to be healthy for San Francisco and, Bo- and Brock Purdy looked average last week. So I think Baltimore is better than either of these NFC teams. This is the bigger test. You can't have this kind of like one, one phase of the game picks up the other for Kansas City. You've got to have both. And I think we've had both, but to your point of either team you'd play in the other one, Tommy, Baltimore played both of those teams this year and beat them by a combined score of 71 to 25. Yeah. Like, so the two teams in the NFC Championship were both smashed by Baltimore. Smashed. Yeah, I 100% think 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 it's fair to say that, you know, I think to an extent, Baltimore's been underrated this season. Absolutely. They could be historically good for all we know. I, I, and, and they were in the regular season. Absolutely, unequivocally, historically good. Their point differential is absurd. It's almost three times higher than Kansas City's was in the regular season. It's strange when you think about all that for me to be like, I like the Chiefs here. But I do. We'll continue it. I'll tell you why. Again, remind you, like... Baltimore has been the best team in the league this year, and I don't know that it's been particularly close, but I think they are beatable, right? I, I think they're they're deaf, and everybody's always beatable in the NFL, but I think they're beatable, and I think Kansas City has a formula that, Tell that me can how. make it happen. We'll, Tell we'll me continue how. I know in how. the second hour, 869-1240 on the KFH Hotline. We'll be back with more. Hour number two coming on Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody, to hour number two here on Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester with you. Congratulations to Kevin for winning our HTO giveaway there in the first hour. Uh, always trying to give something away here on Sports Daily for you. All right, Tommy. Uh, I, so we went over everything about why the Ravens on paper have been this juggernaut. And I'll tell you why I still like the Chiefs. And know this, too. This isn't some, like, stubborn I told you so. I think the Chiefs have absolutely already validated what have been saying all year that they were good enough to win in the post. They have two playoff wins. They're back in the AFC Championship. This isn't just me, you know, sticking to... No, the Chiefs have already proven that for me. This is, I really do like the Chiefs in this game. I mean, that's it, it is genuinely that. I want to know why. I think, well, because for a couple of reasons. I, I look at the history of the two quarterbacks in the postseason, most importantly. That's the biggest thing 
for me going into this game. If both of these defenses are great and opportunistic and big-time playmaking defenses, because I think both teams are going to want to do the same thing offensively, right? Run the ball a ton and feature the tight end, right? Both both of these offenses are going to want to do the same thing offensively. And if both defenses are as good as they are, which quarterback is more likely in this spot to allow his offense to do what it wants to do? So I start there with Mahomes. I think Mahomes is always going to win that argument until Lamar Jackson proves it, you know, continuously, more than just one half of football, which he had a great one against Houston. But he had a not great one in the first half against Houston, too. I think the kicking game is as even as it's ever been when Justin Tucker's involved. Harrison Butker's been just as good this year. And I just, like, again, a lot of this has to do with Willie Gay. But if the Chiefs can keep this game close early, I I think that even as explosive as Baltimore has been, I I just, I you know, I trust Travis Kelsey more. I think Rashi Rice is as good as any receiver Baltimore has. I, I think it's so even now that the Chiefs are playing this style of football that it just comes into... Am I taking Mahomes or am I taking Lamar Jackson? And I just trust Mahomes so much more than I trust Lamar Jackson in the postseason. And I think it's closer than the numbers indicate. I think the numbers are slightly deceptive because I think there's a very different Chiefs team than we saw earlier in the year. It's a very different brand of Chiefs football than probably we've ever seen in the Mahomes era. Pacheco's healthy. He's, listen, I was concerned about their backfield before the season because I didn't know if he'd make it to this point healthy. He's made it to this point healthy, and he's a difference maker, and he's always gaining yards. And when both teams want to control the ball and want to control the clock, like they, they, they have the same game plan. They have the same strengths. It's like you're, you're looking in the mirror to some degree. And while Baltimore is certainly talented, more talented in a lot of areas than the Chiefs are, they're not at the most important spot, and that's under center with Patrick Mahomes. I would even say I think the head coaches are about a wash. I think John Harbaugh's as good as there is, right? And he's probably a better in-game coach even than Andy Reid. I don't know if he's a better strategist before a game than Andy Reid, but in-game, he might be. All of that, but it's so even across the board, and they are really are so similar. I'm just I'm taking Mahomes, man. This is a true battle for me between my head and my heart. Like, it really, really is. Yeah. Because my heart absolutely feels sure. like the Chiefs have all the talent in the world to win and go to another Super Bowl. My head tells me, and just the overall body of work from what we've seen from both teams this season, that it's not going to be quite that easy for Kansas City. And here's the reason why, in my opinion. I think that Baltimore even if they don't play their A-plus game on Sunday, they can still win, right? I think they can put out a B game and probably still win. But for Kansas City, if they don't play their A-plus game, I don't think they win. And that's the difference maker for me. Now, can they do that? Sure they can. If things start to work out, if MVS can follow up his performance a week ago this weekend, that will help. If Isaiah Pacheco can run the football like he did a week ago, that will help. If the defense can lock down not just in the second half but the entire game, that's going to help out big time. If Patrick Mahomes has a clean game, then that's going to be key as well. But if any of those things don't happen, it's going to be that much more difficult for Kansas City to win the game where – 
on the other side, I feel like with what we've seen from Baltimore this entire season, they've played more complete football games than Kansas City has. And if they don't bring their A-plus game, I think they still have the talent to get the win. Do you think that they played their A-plus game against Buffalo? Uh, it was close to that. I don't know yeah. if it was A-plus, but it was probably genuinely A-game. curious. It was probably I think A-game. The- I think the game they played against Buffalo is good enough to beat Baltimore. Yeah. They need to replicate that. And Baltimore's better than Buffalo. I mean, I'm not sure mis- that Lamar Jackson's— I mean, there were absolutely mistakes in that game. I, I mean, and, I can think of one, and, right? But from uh, there's a, but one from a de- critical From one. a defensive effort, especially in the first half, I mean, they gave up tons of yards to Buffalo. I don't think you can do that. Yeah, but that look, you're not going to you're not going to shut them down. You're not shutting Baltimore— Even in your A-plus game, you're not shutting Baltimore down. Like, that's not going to happen. So it's relative to it. I would say it's unlikely that Lamar Jackson plays as well as Josh Allen played in that game, but it's more likely that everybody else around the quarterback plays better than Buffalo played in that game. If Lamar Jackson has at or more rushing yards than Josh Allen did a week ago, I think Baltimore wins the game. I think that's a fair statement to make. If if Lamar Jackson, because what did Allen finish with, like 160 yards? Or something yeah. like that. I mean, it was like it was ridiculous. I but but it it's relative for me. So if he slowly acquires the yardage, I don't think that's as much of a problem. If he has two or three big chunk runs, right, that lead to touchdowns, like if he breaks two or th- that, that's where it's the problem. Because the Chiefs have shown us all year in the law of averages, they will allow people to run on them. It's not it's not allowing though that to turn into touchdowns right, on long plays that has that has made that just fine for the defense. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. If, you know, if Baltimore is running at four and a half yards a clip but doesn't score a touchdown on that drive or doesn't, you know what I mean? So if, they, if they're averaging, you know, all, the, all this yardage, but in any one given series they have a three and out or they don't pick up a first down and they have to punt, that's a win for your defense. Anytime they have to punt is a win for the defense. They can run it effectively and still not have that turn into what will kill the Chiefs. If they don't score touchdowns, they're in trouble. Like for the Chiefs, the, the bend don't break is is going to be perfect for this game. Like if you're just allowing them to kick field goals, and points will be at a premium, field goals will matter too. It'll matter on both sides. But as long as that's not like long touchdown runs, I don't care if Lamar Jackson has 150 yards running. It's fine. If it's not leading to two or three touchdowns that he broke off on massive chunk plays, it's okay. He's more likely to do that than Josh Allen is, right? Josh Allen on a breakaway play, you're not catching Lamar Jackson. He's too fast. So you can't let that happen. He's also not as likely, though, to break through that initial contact as Josh Allen is. So it's it is different. I mean, both of those guys are such good runners in such different ways. I mean, if the Chiefs are getting to Jackson behind the line of scrimmage, he's he's gonna go down. It's different than than Josh Allen, who can break through a couple really of blitz. those and then break it off. They didn't really blitz Josh they won't Allen. Blitz. The whole lot I, they're either. not gonna blitz Lamar yeah. Jackson. They're not gonna blitz Lamar Jackson. They're gonna spy Lamar Jackson. And he, but the thing, that initial point of contact is the key. Josh Allen breaks through the initial point of contact as a runner. Lamar Jackson's very different than that. He he gets a lane and hits the hole, right? It's it's different. I think the other underrated part of Baltimore that we really haven't talked about a whole lot 
is how good of a defense they have. And, and that's kind of overshadowed, totally. number one, by Lamar Jackson and their offense. But it's also overshadowed by the fact that Kansas City has a really good defense, too. And so if you're ranking those units, I think a lot of people would probably put Kansas City over Baltimore. But it doesn't mean Baltimore doesn't mean their defense is bad. They're, they're really good. And we talked a lot about— Baltimore's been more op- opportunistic. They've been a more explosive They've allowed defense. the second-fewest passing touchdowns in the league. They've got the most sacks in the league. That was one thing in the game against Buffalo was that the offensive line for Kansas City kept Patrick Mahomes clean. But I don't know the status of Joe Tooney. I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, We know the way that that offensive line has been penalized, especially Jawan Taylor. You know, so Baltimore gets to the quarterback. That's what they do. The most sacks in the NFL this season belongs to Baltimore. And so that's going to be key also. And we've talked about how Kansas City limits the points scored by opponents this season defensively. Baltimore does a great job too, especially as of late. The last five games, the Baltimore defense has held its opponents to less than 20 points. And in eight games this season, held their opponents to 10 points or less. So they've got a really solid defensive unit. And it gets overshadowed by what the offense in Baltimore can do and, and all of that and the flashy nature of that offense. But it's a really, really complete football team all the way around. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think if you were ranking the defenses, you'd have one and one A. They're different, right? The Chiefs are a more sturdy steady coverage defense, defense with yep. Baltimore is the more opportunistic big play defense. Yeah. There's no question about that. Sacks, turnovers, whatever metric you want to look at for big plays defenses make Baltimore does all of that better than Kansas city. Kansas city though, is the more you're just not going to do much against us. You know what I mean? Like just a steady Baltimore has been again, a tick better in points per game. They're one and two. The chiefs have been better in, in yardage allowed per game. If that, if that, and I think it does tell a story about the two defenses. They're different defenses. They're both great. Again, I, I think that this is a very close matchup when Kansas City plays this way, the way they played against Buffalo, um, the way they played against Miami, the style that they play. I think it puts them closer to Baltimore. And as that gap closes, I, I get that's where Mahomes comes in. I don't know that people. Look, I think I think in Kansas City, people would say Patrick Mahomes best quarterback ever, right? I think he might be. I think he very well could be. Understand that he's ahead of where Brady was through this point of his career. He has one fewer Super Bowl, but he went to that Super Bowl. He's been to as many. His, you know, his yardage, his touchdowns, his win-loss record in the playoffs, I believe is identical, I think. So, he's at or ahead of where Brady was. What made Brady so great in the long term was how long he did it for. But what Tom Brady was doing at that point in his career, that's what Mahomes is doing, right? And how many times was Brady that X factor in these moments? So I don't think it's out of line to say when it's as close as it is stylistically that, I, that I'm that i going to take Mahomes in that spot because I think stylistically it is close right now between these two teams. And again... Houston is not nearly as good as Kansas City. That's fair. That is a fair statement. And they had them on the ropes for a half of that game. Now, they didn't finish it. And Baltimore, through its true explosive nature, only needed a half to really blow that game out of the water. But Baltimore can't afford a half like that either. right? Baltimore can't play that way against Kansas City. 
You're not going to do to Kansas City's defense what they did to Houston's defense in the second half of that game. Not going to happen, at least based on literally everything we've seen all year long. That's not going to happen to the Chiefs' defense. Healthy, again, Willie Gay, we'll see. I think he'll play. But So Baltimore can't do that either. Baltimore needs its A game in this game, too. It's not just, All the pressure is yeah, not on Kansas. What happened in the first half against Houston when they weren't playing their A game? That was against Houston. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the first half of that game, it was what was it tied, and Lamar Jackson was doing nothing. So and then they won by it, three touchdowns. Not, I again, I, I that's that's how good they can be. But that was a tie game at halftime against Houston. If Baltimore doesn't bring its a game, that might not be a tied game at halftime. They may be down ten points to the Chiefs. So they've also got a lot of pressure on them to do this too. I think the gap seems wider than it is because the Chiefs went through the stretch of this season where they didn't play well at all, right? That's not what's happening the, now. The gap, the gap is wider than it is. Uh, the, the wider right now, I think, because of the fact that Baltimore, they play, they have played and have had more examples of complete football games, 40 minutes of football from start to finish. More examples of that throughout the course of the season than Kansas City has had. And I think that I think that Baltimore, they can get away with not playing their A game and still win. Now, they can't play a C game or a D game, but I, I don't think they have to be perfect in order to win this game. I think Kansas City has to be damn I don't think either perfect team has to, be. to win the game. Yeah, I really I, do. And it doesn't mean that I, Kansas City can't. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been on this stage far more than Lamar Jackson has. And so if you want to give just playoff, big stage, AFC championship experience – you give the nod to Patrick Mahomes, absolutely. But, you, but if from a top-to-bottom talent level, and not only talent level, but the way that these teams have played this entire season from start to finish, you, you have to give the nod to, Buffalo, to Baltimore. That's not a subjective statement. That's objective. The way that those two teams have played from start to finish this season, the nod does go to Baltimore. It doesn't mean Kansas City can't win the game, but the nod goes to Baltimore. They've had a better season up to this point. That might be obje- that's objective, but it's it, it, it again. But you lots can't of just throw happen. all that out the window. I'm not throwing it out the window. I'm not. But we know in this spot, almost no team ever is going to play perfect, except for like Green Bay against Dallas. That was probably as close to playoff perfection as we've seen in a game. Otherwise, in all of these games that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have won. They never play perfect in those games. Do you Neither think... will their opposition. So then it comes down to who can, you know, when capitalize on the opposition's mistakes, who can withstand making a mistake. Mistakes are going to get made in this game. Neither team's going to play perfect. That almost never happens in the postseason. Didn't happen for Baltimore in their first game against Houston. They played half of a perfect game, right? The other half, it was far from it. So that, that won't happen. Neither team, and if... I'll tell you this. If either team comes in, Tommy, and plays perfect, they'll blow the other team out. But it's not going to happen that way. Neither of these teams is going to play perfect. Neither of the teams in the Niners-Lions game is going to play perfect. So that's where you get into the nitty-gritty of it. And it's almost like which team, A, makes fewer mistakes, but which team is more capable of overcoming them within a game? Nobody has been better than the Chiefs over these last few years than overcoming whatever is thrown at them. And in, in how many times 
in this run, do you watch the Chiefs? And, like, I put myself in the opposing fan base's shoes all the time, and the only thing we've ever seen like it is Brady. Like, how did that happen? How are we sitting at the end of this game after everything that's happened through the course of this game and they still have a chance? That is the Chiefs, right? No matter what you do, when it comes down to the fourth quarter, it's almost certainly going to be a one-score game. That's It's just been their MO through this for so long. And I feel like that's what's going to happen again. So then it comes down to that home stretch. Is Lamar Jackson capable of making all the big plays when it matters the most? To me, that's what will determine this game. If he's not, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. If he steps up to that challenge and he does make all the plays in the fourth quarter when it's almost certainly going to be that close late, then Baltimore's going to win the game. And and so it's really, it's that's what it comes down to for me. I think it comes down to me how opportunistic can that Ravens defense be from start to finish? Yeah. And how can the offensive line protect Patrick Mahomes if you don't have Joe Tooney? <laughs> Knowing that Baltimore is the best team in the NFL in getting to the quarterback. That's that's Absolutely. the key to me. Uh, how I, many times, too, Tommy, did, did the Chiefs offense kill the defense? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Like the, chi- the Chiefs' offense it hurts the defense. Yeah. That happened all the time. That's my point, is that you you can't have that at, on this stage against this opponent. That can't happen. I remember a few weeks ago, and it was right in the middle of the stretch when things were looking dire for Kansas City. The Christmas Day game against the Raiders and just the Packers game and all of that stuff. And I remember saying at that time, I am done expecting something different to happen with this team. Now, has something drastically different happened? No. Like, they are, by and large, who we thought they were all season long. They have found ways to overcome that. They have found ways to overcome those deficiencies, to compensate for some of those mistakes, the turnovers. and It's pretty the, simple. The re- they stopped throwing it to those they receivers. Throw- exactly. You know, so they, they have found ways to compensate for it. But by and large, this team continues to be who they are. You cannot risk having any of those issues rear their ugly heads in this game on Saturday. So, again, I think they, they, I think Kansas City has to play a near-perfect game for them to be able to come out on top. Doesn't mean they can't do it. Again, Patrick Mahomes is one of the best, especially in the playoffs, at being able to overcome things. He, he can definitely so do that. But I think that they've got to play as perfect of a game as they've played all season long if they want to have a legitimate opportunity to go to another Super Bowl. Let's look at it from a betting perspective real quick. So you're you're clearly on the Ravens to win the game. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, 
You deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Are you laying three and a half points? With I the wouldn't Ravens? say that I'm clearly on the side for the Ravens to win the game. I just think that the the process in which both teams get there, it's a little bit easier for Baltimore. So I haven't fully made my decision yet. I mean, I, I'm okay. again, it's kind of a, a head versus Willie Gay. We got to see Willie Gay. Yeah, we got to see Willie Gay's practice status, which starts today when we start to get an idea on that. If Willie Gay doesn't play, my my opinion's probably going to change on that too. He is so critical uh, to what the Chiefs need to do in this game. Hey, by but the way. It, it, our buddy Virgil just chimed in uh, on Twitter. Oh, Virg. Yeah, so uh, he says, Baltimore's defense is historic. KC's is pretty good. Leading the league in scoring D, sacks, and turnovers hasn't happened in the modern era. If you give up 150 yards rushing to Lamar, the Chiefs will get run out of the building. And then they gave up a – they gave up – what did they give up to Josh Allen? I don't remember what the number was. I, I Again, I think that that can be a deceptive number because the Chiefs have been – quote-unquote, run-on all year long. It's how they're run-on that will be uh, that will be the X factor. I'm pulling this number up here just real 72 quick. 72 yards to Josh Allen. 72, but but a collection of, 182 right, they gave up the 182 rushing yards. Yeah. So Buffalo ran the ball well against them. It, it, that can happen and probably will happen in this game. It's how it happens that matters because the Chiefs have been run on all year. Again, their run defense is not good. By the way, neither is Baltimore's. Baltimore's run defense isn't good either. All these historic numbers for Baltimore, and as great as the Chiefs' defense has been, it has not been good against the run, and neither has Baltimore's defense against the run. What does that tell you? Are we sure that Baltimore's run defense is not great? We sure about that? Uh, didn't we look this up earlier this year? What's I mean, their the yard Ravens per carry finished, average? The, the Ravens finished with the least rushing touchdowns allowed in the league. And they're not letting opponents get into the end zone by running the football. So they I, I don't, are I don't know what the yardage looks like, but they're keeping opponents the out of the end zone. Good. Yeah, the yard, they're middle of the pack in yards per game. i got to find yards per carry here. Give me just a second. Uh, we looked this up earlier in the week. I believe they both allow four and a half yards per carry. Uh, give me just a second. We're going to pull this up here. Uh, but, yeah, they're middle of the pack in rushing touchdowns. I don't know what that means, though. That, like, how many times did teams have goal line opportunities? I, I, I don't know. That's a hard – touchdowns allowed by – okay, so Baltimore, yeah, four and a half yards. They, they both allow four and a half yards of carry. They're the same run defense, right? So we don't talk about that enough either. The X factor of this game is Isaiah Pacheco. What if Isaiah Pacheco runs for 150 yards? He's facing one of the worst run defenses in football on a yard per carry average, which I don't know how else you accurately get a gauge of a team's run defense. Even yards per game is hard because Baltimore's not going to have a lot of yards per game allowed because they were up by 30 points on everybody. Nobody's running the ball. When teams do run the ball against them, though, They've been just as effective as when teams run the ball against Kansas City. Four and a half yards a carry. Both teams. Neither of these teams have a good run defense. That's why I said both of these teams' game plan, Tommy, is going to be the exact same. They're going to try to run the ball and play good. Like that. 
They're, <laughs> they're going to come into this game and do the you same would, thing. You would think, but Andy Reid historically does not lean on the run game. Even if he needs to, he doesn't always do that. Yeah, so, relative terms, right? He he. The Chiefs didn't run a lot of offensive plays in general against Buffalo because Buffalo controlled the controlled the clock for much of it. But they ran it twenty three times. They ran, it was it was a fifty fifty split. That should tell. I mean, in an Andy Reid offense, they ran it half the time. That's like running it ninety percent of the time uh, for a lot of teams uh, for Baltimore, right? I I think a. I think Andy Reid running it 50% of the time is pretty equitable to Baltimore running it 43 times in the game that they played. Both of these teams are coming into this game running the ball. There's no doubt in my mind they're going to run the ball. We'll see how much the quarterback runs the ball. I think for Baltimore it'll be a ton. Patrick Mahomes probably run it a little bit too. 869-1240, give us a call. Let us know what you think. We'll be on this all week, so still plenty of time. We're going to come back. We'll look ahead to some of the college basketball tonight. Both K-State and Wichita State in action. That's next on Sports Daily. I think I want to hear this. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Shocker fans, you can turn into 103.7 KEYN tonight for coverage of the game. Pre-game starts at 5.30. Wildcat fans, you'll turn in right here on KFH for pre-game coverage beginning at 7 for that 8 o'clock tip. And if you're not by a radio, both are available to you on the free Odyssey app. Uh, Doc Rivers hired in Milwaukee. No surprise there. Everybody thought that's what was going to happen. We'll see how that experiment works. If you're going to make a change, I do think that makes some sense for Milwaukee. Of course, Wichita native, we talked about this off the top of the show. Adrian Griffin was fired despite a 30-13 and 13 start to his NBA head coaching career. You can go back and listen to our conversation on that for free on the Odyssey app as well. Jad gets the entire show podcasted out, available for you right there. I know a lot of people listen to the show that way. If you are listening to us uh, from the past, we appreciate it there. We also appreciate you watching us on your on your videos. So what they're I don't know listening what that to was. us now. Can you do that again? That little, no. little hand move? No, because now I'm second-guessing. I don't know what that are was. Are they listening? Are we talking to them from the past or the future? We're talking to them from the past, right? Yeah, if they're listening to us on the podcast right now. You'd be hearing from us from the past. I, I made I that up. That, that's not really a thing I've ever heard. I don't know what that hand uh, gesture was that you just oh, did. Oh, that's the past. Uh, that's the past happening. Okay. Uh, you, by the way, you don't know what he's talking about if you're not watching this on our video stream hmm. from the present. Uh, but that's where you can see <laughs> all the hand gestures. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> spirit fingers! <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, you can find our video stream. Uh, be warned, though. Let's talk college basketball. We mentioned Wichita State, K-State. Look, the Shockers, I mean, come on now. East Carolina is coming to your place. This is a must-win game for this team. It is absolutely as must-win as any game on January 24th when you're not going to be in the top half of the league has ever been in the history of the world. This is a must-win game for the Shockers. You have got to get that first win. My goodness, it's at home. It's against East Carolina. I don't care about anything else. You haven't won any of these. If you can't beat East Carolina at home, you're, you can't win any of them. Win this game. It's must win for the Shockers and Paul Mills. You know, East Carolina, they've got their own losing streak going on right now. They've lost their last three. Um, you know, not nearly to the effect that Wichita State has had their issues. But I think that Wichita State, on paper, is a more talented team. They're a better team than East Carolina is. That doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, though, when you actually – throw that out the window and the ball is tipped and, and the game gets going. I, I think that both of these teams, 
obviously have their issues. Both of these teams are under 500 overall in the season. East Carolina has had scoring issues, kind of in the same way that Wichita State has had to an extent. So while on paper you look at just the overall um, facts of of the matter and, and the rosters and all of that, and you can easily say Wichita State's a better team. They should win this game. Uh, that's easier said than done with a team that is in the middle of a seven-game losing streak. Yeah, look, I'm going to bet the Shockers tonight because I'm going to bet that they are able to close it out. I, you want to know, by the way, what that... Wichita State has done against the spread lately? Oh, they've been terrible. Uh, well, yeah, no, actually, yeah. I, have they been terrible? Well, in their last 10 games, they're 1-8-1 and one against the spread. Okay, that's what I thought, but yeah. then I was like, wait, they kept it close against them. So, Overall on the season, Wichita- they're 5-10-2 against the spread. So even before this losing streak happened, they were not covering in the way that uh, you might want them to. Since Mark Turgeon took over in the year 2000, Tommy, how many times do you think that the Shockers finished a season under 500? Uh, since 2000, um, you know, there were the first couple seasons of Turgeon, a little bit of a rebuild. The first year of Marshall wasn't great. I'm going to say there were three years. Two. Two. First okay. year of Turgeon, first year of Marshall. Okay. And that will get, that will be the thing to look at with Paul Mills, because both of those coaches had a ton of success. Both of them were under 500. In their first year, both of them in their first year in league play finished four and fourteen in that league. The, you know, so I, I, we have we, I, me probably more than anybody, has been very disappointed in this season. At least, you know, me publicly more than anybody, very disappointed in this season. But do remember this, Shocker fans, glass half full, which I'm a big glass half full guy. Both of those two coaches who had great shocker runs, Turgeon and Marshall, both in their first years finished 4-14 and 14 in their leagues. Now, this is a different era of basketball in general in college. I think those rebuilds must happen quicker than they used to because you're not getting probably four or five seniors on the team that can buy in and do all those things. It's not going to happen for very many teams anymore. So it is a little bit different. But both of those first years were really bad. This year has been really bad for Wichita State doesn't need to be they've been in position to win enough of these games this is one they must win tonight they have to do it you got to get it done the counter to that that I would say is that with Marshall he only had the historical precedent of what Turgeon did took him to the sweet 16 you know so there was a little bit of of growth there Uh, expectations were very different Turgeon didn't have any expectations that program was in shambles when he came in yeah. in the year 2000. And so anything was good. You know, Turgeon rebuilding that program the way that he did and taking them to a sweet 16. The expectations are significantly different in the year 2023 than they were in 2000 when Turgeon came in and when they were in, what, 2007 when Marshall came in to Wichita State. So that is different. Paul Mills is inheriting a program with substantial expectations and probably – a lot better talent right now than what Turgeon or Marshall had in year number one for their respective programs, I would think. Especially, I won't Turgeon. speak to that because I have no idea. I would think. I have no idea. I would think that the talent level of this team is better in 2023 in year one under Paul Mills than what it was when either Turgeon or Marshall started, I would think. I'm not sure. I have no. I literally don't know anything about Wichita State basketball. From it's the a different conference too. Keep in mind, they're playing in the Missouri yeah. Valley in both of those. The Missouri previous... Valley was really good back in they those were. days, though. They, they was were. it was as good or better than the AAC is now in those years. 
here's what else I would tell you about that historical precedent. It took Mark Turgeon, right? It took him, and I, and these were the things that I said to be careful what you wish for as far as Isaac Brown was concerned, but it took Turgeon six years to reach the NCAA tournament. He did it once in seven years at Wichita State. It took Marshall five years to reach the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, you had the best era of Shocker basketball, but it took him five years to get there. Paul Mills ain't getting five years to get to the NCAA tournament, right, with Wichita State. So it's not the same anymore, but it does provide just a little bit of perspective for patience, um, of which I have very little, well, admittedly. And, and so knowing that, and knowing that they're in the middle of a seven-game losing streak, knowing that the patience is running thin, what happens if they don't win tonight? What happens if East Carolina snaps their three-game losing streak? What happens if a team uh, that is, I think on paper, not as talented as, as Wichita State comes into Coke Arena and they win? And that losing streak apathy, extends to eight. Apathy will be at full force. Might be anyway, but it for sure would be at that point. If you can start to string some wins together here, then people are going to be very interested in, in in a lot of the games that are coming down the stretch. If you lose this one tonight, that little bit of that shred of hope for this year is going to be gone. We like talking about what the ceiling could potentially be for various teams at different points in the season. You know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. What is the ceiling right now for Wichita State basketball? And is it? Oh, I think I have a. It, it, do you think the ceiling could they get back to five hundred in conference by the time it's all said and done? Is that yes. too far out of reach at this point? I mean, they're what zero and five in conference. No, play? it's not. It's unlikely. It's it's honestly, it's more likely that they got on a run in the conference tournament. I think the ceiling is, and they showed us this. And the reason I think this is a possibility, maybe not so much with Memphis, but with Florida Atlantic, they, like they were leading much of that game. Right. Even against Memphis, they were to I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that Wichita State makes a run in a tournament and becomes one of those kinds of team. If everything falls their way, because they've shown us against the top tier of this league that they can absolutely play with them for spurts. So if they can find that consistency, that would be your ceiling, a puncher's chance in the tournament where they finish in the conference is probably going to be low. But they, they'll be in a position, they should be in a position, where they've got a puncher's chance in the tournament. I, I don't think that's out of the realm. And that speaks again, glass half full. It's not like they're getting killed, right? They're, in fact, ahead. And maybe that's even more frustrating. I mean, they I lost think there by are almost all 30 kinds against of, Memphis, but I get what you're Memphis saying. was the outlier. But they were, they were the, fir- the entire first half, that was back and forth, right? I, I think that you you just, as a Shocker fan have to continue to look at this as are they still bought in? Are they getting better? And are some of these players that are going to be a part of the future getting better under Paul Mills? Those are the important things to watch for, I think, right now, because until the conference tournament, I mean, that's really all we have. They're not going to be contending for a conference title. So until you get to the tournament. If you're playing for the conference tournament, then you're also playing for seeding in the conference tournament, right? And so a sure, puncher, but, but they're going to have to win it. I get they're going to have to win it. Anyway. I get it. But a, a quote unquote puncher's chance in the conference tournament. A lot of that will be dictated by what seed they are and what their matchups are, you know, and who they're playing. My, that. If you're my prediction against, is no matter what their seed is, they'll have to beat Memphis to win that. That's tournament. what I'm going to say. So if, if, you're, if you're going to be, you know, the 12 seed or whatever, and you're facing Memphis in the second round, I, that that's going to be difficult regardless of when that's going to happen. Like I get all of right. that. I just, I, yeah. you know, I think it's unlikely. 
if they can just do what they need to do tonight. And again, I'm betting them tonight. I'm betting on the Shockers tonight. I'm making that bet. Then I do think it opens the window back. Okay, you've we've gone through that ridiculous portion of the schedule. Not anymore. Now win some of these games. You got to turn. I'm that excited corner. about you the future. Turn it over. Still, you ha- they have to turn the corner. It's not 2000 or 2007. The expectations now are so much different than they used to be. Got to get it done. That game's tonight. You'll hear it on KYN. You hear the K State game on KFH. We'll preview that next on Sports Daily. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Glad to be alongside you, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Uh, Okay, let's look at K-State tonight. Iowa State should be a fun one. Uh, K-State continues to overachieve, I think, Tommy. I think they have vastly overachieved, at least based on expectations. When you look back at no Naquan Tomlin, none of this other stuff, I I have been, and I've said this before, I think I've been equally, if not more, impressed with the job Jerome Tang and his staff have done this year than in years past. They go into Iowa State, though, tonight, the ranked Cyclones, Tommy, as seven-and-a-half-point dogs. I don't want any part of that on either side, I don't think. Um, Iowa State, interestingly, gets to host K-State, KU, and back-to-back games there in Ames. I, but I, I, don't have a, like, I don't have much of an expectation in this one. I would love to see K-State play well. I can't wait to see them in a spot like this, in an environment like this, the, you know, the Farmageddon on the hardwood, but... This will be a pretty tough challenge for for K-State tonight. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is in the way that, you know, they struggled at times against Oklahoma State, the only winless team in Big 12 play. It took a second-half comeback. They were down by eight in the second half for Kansas State to come out and win the game. It's kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde a little bit from this Kansas State team. They've got to have, um, you know, more of the uh, effort and more of the outcomes that we saw, like when they opened up against UCF, as an example. Um, And there have been a couple of other games where they've been able to flex a little bit. They've got to have that kind of effort as opposed to what we saw inside Bramlage on Saturday. So if we're looking at it, at 7.5, I wouldn't bet that. I wouldn't bet either way. Um, The one that I think is becoming a bet to make with them, though, and let me just look and see if they have this prop up yet. Uh, but it's Arthur Kaluma, and it's his three-pointers. Let me see here. Player threes. So they've got Kaluma right now at two-plus, right? Arthur Kaluma has had two-plus three-pointers in his last four games. He's taken in his last four games six-five, six-and-five threes. He's taken at least three three-pointers, Tommy, in every single game this season. That feels like an opportunity on Kaluma to make at least two. At least two is at minus 130. If you get even crazier, you can get three at plus 225. I wouldn't do that. I would just take the minus 130 for a guy that uh, at least you know should, because he has all season long, get the opportunities to take a bunch of them. Again, he's averaging like 
five, almost six three-point attempts in his last four games, right? So you need you need him to shoot 33% from three and keep his attempts up. That's kind of where I would look at uh, as a bet in that world is an Arthur Kaluma, two, at least two three-pointers made. That's probably the bet that I would make on this game tonight. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. You know, I actually do like Kansas State to cover the number, though, and the reason I say that is because a year ago, the two teams split, and they both won at home, but Kansas State covered both times last season. And on top of that, Iowa State this year has kind of struggled offensively in Big 12 play. They're only averaging about 66 points in conference play. And in their home games in conference, they only scored 57 against Houston. We know about Houston's defense, though. 57 against Houston and 66 against Oklahoma State. So they have not put up a ton of points at home in conference play and really overall in conference play. Uh, th- their offense really has not been lights out. So knowing that, I think I might take Kansas State plus eight because I do think that even though Iowa State could probably win on their home court, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. So I would take Kansas State plus no. seven and a half. Yeah, I think 65 points probably wins this game. I'm with you on that. Um 65, 68 points. So then, yeah, does Kansas State get into the 60s? They're probably safe. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that thought process. Actually, I, I can, I could get on board with that. Uh, maybe sprinkle a little of that into one of the, one of the sites that gives us like a same game parlay bonus or something. Throw that in there. Shockers again. I think the Shockers cover. Um, I like that a little more. I think they, they have their back as squarely against the wall as it could possibly be. And I don't get the sense that this team has let up in any way on this season. And I think that's the recipe for, for a big time performance at home tonight. K-State is just going to have to grit and claw their way to try to keep this close. Iowa state's good again, right? They're 14 and four. Also Um, let's take a quick look actually at the big 12 standings for the implications there. Iowa state right now, I think they have, Two losses. Yeah, that's what I thought. So K-State can kind of keep the pace up there by themselves. Iowa State's lost two Big 12 games. K-State, of course, only the one Big 12 loss. And man, how close is K-State to being unbeaten in the Big 12, that Texas Tech game? But it it should be a ton of fun. I'm a little surprised Kansas State is not ranked yet. That Oklahoma State performance probably didn't help them any. But these are the kinds of games in this league this year where if you can go get a game like this, it enhances your chances to win the Big 12 immensely because you figure, right, that Iowa State's also going to be there in the end, in that mix at the top of the league, especially as, you know, Kansas and Houston have faltered a little bit lately. It does feel more like you're going to have, right, Kansas State, Houston, Kansas, probably Baylor, probably Iowa State, maybe Texas Tech, probably TCU, probably Texas. Like, all of those teams are going to feel like they got a chance to win this league, and they all do. Hey, and in a Big 12 where all these teams are beating up on one another, Kansas State is a one-point loss in Lubbock away from being undefeated in the Big 12. I'm telling you, I'm just as impressed by the job they've done this year than the job they did in totality last year. No Naquan Tomlin. Tyler Perry's not playing well. If I told you both of those things, Tommy, you would have told me this might be a last-place team in the Big 12, and I would have agreed. That's a testament they, to they, Jerome They have Tank. never had Naquan Tomlin, and Tyler Perry, the guy that they brought in to be the next Marquise Noel, is not playing well at all. Both of those things are happening, and they're almost unbeaten in Big 12. I mean, man. We'll be back. You'll hear that game in Wichita State here tonight. We'll tell you more about those broadcast networks when we return.
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.